You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 52, and my name is Rusty, and with me uh, over in the States is uh, Team Surgeon Shooter, Paul Reed. How are you, Paul? Good, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Now, for those astute listeners who have noticed so far, Paul is lacking an American accent despite being over there in uh, Texas. Where do you come from originally, mate? Mate, born and raised in Cootamundra, New South Wales. Fantastic. And uh, and so currently uh, you're one of the uh, top competitors in the PRS. How does, how does that work to come from Cootamundra to ending up in the position you are, top 10 in the PRS last year? Well, um, I guess I've always loved guns since a kid. Um, and I started my working career in the helicopter industry, and that was pretty fortunate because um, that took me all over the world. So I moved to America um, to start work for a helicopter company in 1996. Wow, yep. Yeah, right, and, and been shooting, I guess, over there ever since as well? Um, off and on. It's... Pretty much, it, um, like I walk into a gun show and see a gun and go, oh, man, can I buy that? And they're like, do you have a driver's license? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Well, help. So I've been buying guns, but um, I didn't really start shooting until 2012. I was um, pretty much into the golf. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. And then uh, decided to make it a lot faster and a bit further range. So um, always like shooting a little bit of pistol stuff over here, but um, I've been a golfer since a kid, so... The perfect lifestyle for me was to buy a nice big house next to a golf course, be able to drive up there in my golf carts, play golf. So I started my own company in 2004, and in 2005 that dream came true. And the wife and I were set up more from the golf course, golf carts every night. We're up there playing golf um, for years and years. And then one day we go up there, and the golf course is boarded shut, bankrupt. Wow. Mm. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that was a bit of a soul-crushing moment. So uh, I was lost there for a little while. It stayed closed for a couple of years. So after about six or seven months, I saw this video of a crazy Russian shooting a, a water jug at 1,000 metres with a 338 LM. Yeah. And I'm yep. hell yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right, and then and then where, where did you get to from there? Well, like – an idiot that knew nothing, I ran straight out and brought a Savage 110 BA in 338 Lapua. Right, yeah. Uh, and the place I brought it from didn't have any ammo. I'm like, no problem, I can get ammo somewhere else. So I brought that rifle, not realising it was $5 a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I needed a bit of training, and I there was a local guy, uh, Josh Ruby, from North Texas Rifle Precision, so I signed up for a training with him, and mm-hmm. he educated me and, a couple of months later, I ended up with my first custom um, build from Surgeon Rifles in uh, 260 Ren. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Kept nice. doing some training with him, and then I did my first competition in about, uh, I think it was March 2013, which was a club match down at uh, Cawthorne Cartridge Club near College Station. Okay. Is that far from you? Um, three and a half hours, yep. Yeah, okay. So pretty close, really, for this sport. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when, um, so that was March 2013. 
Is that right? Yeah. Um, when did you do your first PRS match? Um, let's see. First PRS match was the Bushnell Brawl in 2014. Okay, so about a year That's after. It. Yeah, pretty much. I wanted to, you know, do all the club matches and get my skills honed away before I attempted uh, a PRS match. And maybe the Bushnell Brawl wasn't the smartest first match for me, but it was certainly an eye-opener. I think I finished 56th in that one. Yeah, okay. So to, um, I guess either the club match or the PRS, maybe elements of both, because obviously, as, as you know, we're only a couple of weeks away from our first formal PRS match here, and, and we don't have much of a, a club scene yet on this sort of stuff. So guys are, who are, are shooting that, often or many of them, this is the first style of this event they're going to be shooting. How was your first event? What did you what did you learn from it, or what, what did you encounter? Uh, some of the challenges. Uh, well... I'll, I'll go into that shortly, but I just want to touch on the point that congrats to yourself and Greg Small for um, getting the PRS series over in Australia. I mean, that's just mon monumental, and people over here can't um, appreciate the level of effort that you had to put into um, getting that organised. So, well done. That's that's a big effort. No, cheers, mate. There's there's been, I guess, you know, we always have a good team uh, as well, and so there's plenty of people who have uh, been involved with it. Um, but big big kudos to uh, Greg Small for for really pushing the uh, pushing the cart to make it all happen, mate. And to your your selfie hospitality over there when we came over and looked looked after us, and uh, yeah, certainly uh, spent some good time with good people over there to to make it all happen here. Yeah, no problem, mate. Easy work. Now, first match was soul destroying. <laughs> 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 I, you know, I thought I was a pretty good shot, but man, this is a different game altogether. Yeah, okay. Yep. I'm guessing, though, that you're probably you were competing against some guys who have been doing it for a while, yeah? Yeah, I mean, we being in the, the Texas Precision Rifle Club, TXPRC, we were lucky because we have actually the founding member of um, the PRS, Rich Emmons, was one of our leading members who was organising the matches. So, um, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of depth there, and a, and a lot of new guys like me. But um, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I finished second last in my first six matches. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and 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 here you are, often finishing uh, second or first. So uh, don't take it as a uh, as a downside if you don't do so well to start off with. Is that what we're taking away? Exactly. I mean, it just made me angry, basically. <laughs> and, uh, there's a, a few reasons for why I sucked to start with. Um, you know, I didn't really have my reloading squared away. Yep. Rifle didn't shoot that great. Um, and there was little points that I'd missed that I didn't learn along the way. Um, and I'll share the most important thing that I had to learn later on after I started shooting, and that is how to clean my rifle. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, and that, <laughs> that helped? Well, here's what happens is as you get to the match, it's like, hey, guys, go check your zeros. So everyone's going to check their zero. But I cleaned my rifle like my dad taught me to. I mean, I polished that barrel until it was shiny. It was, I mean, it looked brand new when I was done with it. And um, for people that don't know that, that's probably one of the worst things you can do to a precision rifle barrel because the first thing that happens is your zero is going to shift. Yep. So I'd clean it up the night before the match, go to the match, check my zero. I'm like, oh, it's moved. It's not where it was. Oh, God. So I start chasing it around. Next thing I've shot 20 rounds. Yep. And uh, I'm off to shoot the match and not really knowing if I had a good zero or not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So much confidence taken in that, uh, knowing your zero well. 
And so until I heard some guy talk about he didn't clean his barrel, I'm like, what? You don't clean your barrel? He's like, nope, never. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that's a a fair shock for those who have grown up, you know, getting uh, drilled to clean until it shines. Yeah, they come. Their, their knowledge of cleaning rifles comes from their granddad in World War Two. Um, <laughs> yeah, so th- that was a bit of a, a learning curve for me. So nowadays, I might, for the life of my barrel, say fifteen hundred, two thousand rounds, I might clean it once or twice. And after I do that, I go to the round range and burn twenty rounds through it to, to bring them back in. Yeah, okay. And and so when you say you don't clean at all, is there any aspects you do do in terms of cleaning or what do you do to ensure that it's sort of got a – in terms of maintenance perhaps is what I'm asking? Um, well, I don't touch the inside of the barrel, but I do clean the chamber, the action, and the bolt on a regular basis, like yep. every 100 rounds or so. And if it's a two-day match that night, I'm cleaning that the bolt and the chamber and um, I'm going to make sure it's good to go for the next day. You want to take us through a little bit more on the cleaning of the chamber because I know a lot of guys um, perhaps don't do that or don't think to it. They might spend a lot of time cleaning the bore out, but they often neglect the chamber. Um, no problem. Well, I don't know if you guys can buy an AR-15 cleaning brush over there. Probably not. That's probably legal too, right? <laughs> You're probably right. But, uh, I like the AR-15 brush because uh, it's um, – it has like I guess it's like a ten mil brush on the front and a, a built up wiry brush on the back. I'm, I'm looking so, at one now. I, yes, we we can buy them. I think they're called. Uh, they go by a different name, but uh, they're the military style chamber brush is what they are often listed as over here. And yeah, okay. you can get them here. Yeah, good. So what I'll do is um, I'll get a large patch and I'll drape it over that and I'll spray it with brake cleaner. Yep. Um, I, I only ever use brake cleaner or um, uh, electronics cleaner. Okay. To, to clean the rifle. And so I'll put that in and I'll give it a good scrub and then I'll go back in there with um, dry patches and, you know, just give her a twist in and out until the patches are almost white again. I mean, it's really difficult to get them to be perfectly clean. Of course. And then I'll spray the bolt down, give her a good wipe over and I'll put a little bit of oil on it and run it in and out. Then I uh, finish up with Tetra Grease. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yep, on the bolt. Yeah. Yep, that's it. So it takes me a couple of minutes. And uh, I run a dual trigger, and dual triggers are beautiful, but they have a habit of um, getting full of dust and letting it down. So I always flush that out with lighter fluid. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Excellent. Sorry, I'm not sure we distracted from there. We were talking about uh, – oh, that's right. You learned cleaning your gun was perhaps not the best option, and I was distracted with chamber chamber cleaning. But anyway, back to, uh, back to what you were mentioning. Yeah, so you'll clean it once over once or twice over the uh, the entire life of the barrel? Yeah, if at all. Um, I've got a, my six-dasher here with me now. It's got about 1,300 rounds on it. I've not touched that barrel. Yeah, right. And I think there 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 will be people uh, not quite grasping that concept, eh? Well, I mean, but it works. The science is, uh, I guess, that we want there to be a lot of copper in there um, to smooth it out. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. All the top shooters in the country do not clean that barrel. Yeah, and if they do, it's every six, seven hundred rounds. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue with. Yeah, it really. is. So, you know, don't, don't mess with it if it's still shooting good. And anything else you sort of took away from that first match? Or is it, did you enjoy yourself? That's probably the big thing. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the guys were great. But, uh, yeah, it was soul-destroying. So 
Um, basically, you're going to get a bunch of new positions you've never shot off, and yep. you can stand back and, and look at these barricades and go, yeah, I've got this figured out. Once you throw your rifle down, things aren't quite what you're seeing, so you need to learn how to adapt. So what I would do is after the match, I'd take a picture of the barricade that, that whooped my ass, and I would build the bloody thing, and I'd practice on it. Yeah, right. Nice. Yeah, so anything I had a problem with of that match, I would try to recreate it. And uh, at my house, and do some dry firing off it, and get used to it. Well, that probably brings us on to the, the next thing I was going to throw you away, Paul. Was um, obviously, as we mentioned, we're only a couple of weeks away from from the PRS match here. Um, looking for for what you know advice you'd give to guys who are um, taking up shooting in this style for the first time, most likely. Um, probably a couple of different points like uh, preparation, uh, equipment, and uh, and what else to practice because they're going in fairly unknown at this point. So we start with preparation. What can they do to get prepared? Um, okay, I'll, I'll run you through how I prep up my equipment um, before a match. Uh, I start a couple of days out, and I'll go over my rifle. I'll go over every piece of hardware. Uh, I'll make sure the torque values are right for the action screws, scope rings. Um, this any nut bolt screw on that rifle, it's going to be tight, and I'll have a tool in my backpack that for everything that turns on that rifle to make sure I can fix it if something goes wrong. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I'll go through and I'll get the chamber clean, the bolt clean. Um, if I feel like pulling the bolt apart, I will, but as far as I go, is I just drop the firearm pin assembly out and give it a clean and re-oil it. I don't ever pull the ejector out or the extractor. Okay, yep. Yep. Um, I'll go through the scope. I'll give it a clean up. I'll check to make sure it's still level. Um, just put a couple of levels on it and make sure the level that I run on it is actually true because mm-hmm. um, rifle camp is pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I'll just, I've got a couple of batteries on there. I, I can light the reticle. I've got a red dot that I run on there. I just make sure the batteries are good. And then uh, once it's all squared away, I'll move to the, um, the backpack to make sure I've got my gear organized. Um, mags. I pull them apart every now and then just to make sure they're not full of dust. I'll make sure they're working good. I'll make sure I've got my binoculars in there. They're also range finders, so I'll check the battery. Okay. Um, I carry a sling with um, flush cups on it. Those flush cups can get full of dust, so I'll give them a blowout and make sure they work good. Mm -hmm. Uh, All my bags, make sure they're good. Make sure the toolkit's there. Uh, When I go to a match, I always carry a spare bolt just in case there's some issue on my bolt, because, I mean, what can really go wrong in that rifle apart from the trigger and the bolt? Yeah. Do you carry a spare trigger at all? I do. I don't keep them in my backpack, but I've definitely got one or two in the truck ready to go. Sorry, in the ute. Sorry about that. (laughs) I think we know what you mean. I've had a couple of um, triggers go down on me, so it's a handy one to have. But, I mean, if you don't have a spare, don't worry about it. Just go see what you can do. But I've changed two triggers in the middle of a match. And if I didn't have a trigger, I was out of the match. It'd be the end of it. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. So is there anything else on preparation? I've got a couple of ballistic devices that I use, so I make sure that they're squared away. And I also have printed dope, just in case all the electronics fail. I'll have uh, printed dope for a couple of different DAs, like 2,000, 4,600 there. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 6,000. Um, with 10 mile an hour full um Full value uh, wind, <clears throat> wind on there. A uh, couple of lens wipes. That's about it. Yeah, brilliant. What what um, ballistics program are you running? 
My main one is um, from Geo Ballistics. It's called Ballistics Arc. Are you familiar with that one? I certainly am, yes. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Um, I also carry two Kestrels. Yep. I don't know why I have two, but I do have two. <laughs> um, and I keep, I have a Kestrel running in the background. Uh, my original Kestrel that came with Horus, is, it's always been pretty good with vertical dope, not so much with um, the wind call. Okay. Uh, but I keep it running in the background just in case. But this ballistics arc, man, it can't be beat as far as I'm concerned. It's brilliant. It yeah. really is. And if there's any guys out there that are thinking about going to the match and they're really not sure on their dope, it's 15 bucks. It's it's cheap. Mm. The Kestrels are $700. <laughs> yeah, very, uh, and, and more so here. Yeah, yeah. so... I, the thing I love about it, and I'm pushing to newer shooters, is for $100 you can buy the, the weather vane, the weather flow wind meter that sinks into your phone. And, yep. man, it's, I believe it works better than a cash from. The, the wind calls it gives are most of the time correct. It's very surprising. Yeah, I've been I've been running a ballistics arc recently, and it has been performing uh, every piece as, as good as what I was, uh, as AB, which is what I normally use. Yeah. Yeah. So, and all those devices are great. Um, I think the Ballistic Arc is the best, but they're only as good as the information we put in them. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not perfect. You still need to look down that range and be sure where that wind's coming from and how quick and, and believe what, let the targets tell you what's happening. Yeah. But if you think, everyone thinks it's a half a mil and a guy's got to hold a mil, well, guess what? It's a mil because <laughs> the target That's right. Yeah, you get, your bullet goes where it's going to go. Exactly. Yeah. So as far as getting my equipment squared away, that's pretty much as far as I go with it. Yeah, excellent. And I think you covered a reasonable amount of it off there, but just if there's anything else you keep in your pack, um, being what you carry with you throughout the comp, um, is there anything else on, on top of that? Obviously, your gun and, and scope and all that sort of system. What else well, do you, you keep I guess I skipped it where I get my ammo squared away. Make sure my ammo's in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got my ammo in there. I've got like a, an old handheld compass that I put in there just so I can keep an eye on where I think the wind direction is. So as I move around, I can, if I think the wind's coming from 180 degrees and I go to a different part of the range, I can just look at the old compass and go, that's where 180 is. So, yeah, the wind's still the same. Um, on the ammo, I will mark all of my brass with a unique marking so it's easy for me to find. Yeah, I, no, I noticed that over there, and, and not something I'd seen over here. But yeah, everything had a had some colour or ring or something on it. Yeah, you really have to. I mean, it gets confusing, and brass is not cheap. I, I imagine it's pretty expensive in Australia. So yeah, most things I've are. Found, uh, that I mark it uh, with a pretty unique, like a little bit of a red spiral on the near the end of the uh, halfway up the case, and uh, the marks so unique. During the match, most people have just come up and go, hey, man, here's some brass. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the yeah, ones right. I miss, people will bring to me. So mark your brass so you can get it at the end of the match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and you carry, would you use a number of bags or you're fairly sort of low-key on bags? Uh, I have two bags I, I take to the match. Um, I, I really shot a lot of matches with just one bag, which is like a, a sandbag that I use. And it's, um, you'll see it in a lot of pictures of me. Um, I'll try and describe it. I've got it here. I'm going to tell it to you centimetres so no one's mind melts. It's about 12 centimetres wide and about 20 centimetres long. 
and um, it's got about six pounds of sand in it, just just sand from the beach playground, wherever you want to get it from. Yep. And that's my go-to bag. And and you you make the most of that. Um, and and what's the second one you've added? I have added um, the game changer bag. It's uh, gained a lot of popularity, so I thought, well, I'm going to buy one, and check it out, and it's great. And it's it really gone, is. gone well for you. Yeah, I, I think if you could only buy one mag and uh, sorry, one bag, and you weren't very good at sewing to make them, this bag <laughs> had to be made for me, the sandy bag. Yep. Get a Gen One game changer bag. Not the ones with the straps on it. The new one that just came out, I don't like it. Get the one, the original version with no straps on it. Yeah, okay. Yep, straps get in the way for you? Uh, man, I really like to um, throw the bag down and push the rifle up against the side of the barricade and pin it against it. So I found that the straps, once the strap to the rifle, you're limited. You can't do that. Yeah, okay. Yep, I'm with you. Yeah, so, cool. Mate, uh, I just I like that Gen One version. There's my recommendation. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one I, I picked up as well. And uh, yeah, I have got no complaints about it. Works uh, works very well. The um because we we certainly see a lot of guys run several bags, five, six, seven plus. But uh, I think uh, yeah, it's it's nice to speak to someone who actually is only doing a couple and um and making the most of them. And mate, I did all that in the early days. The early days would be two years ago, <laughs> where I had. <laughs> big bags, small bags, all kinds of bags. And you know, I have them on my elbows and on my knees. I mean, I just don't do that stuff anymore because um, it can be effective. I think it's cumbersome. It slows you down. And um, they just get in the road. So um, later on, we'll talk a little bit about free recalling okay. and how that's freed me up from carrying a lot of bags. I mean, just the fact that I've gotten really good at free recalling the rifle. I can just go to any match with one bag and shoot off any barricade. Brilliant. All right, we, we're definitely going to get it to the uh, free recalling uh, question. Um, before we do, though, um, if, we get, if we're going to be shooting this match or, or a match in the next year or so coming up, um, what do you suggest we practice on, given that we may not know what the stages are going to be or, or what's you know, sort of really going to be facing us? There's a, there's a few things you can do as far as drills for getting used to um, the barricades. But the first thing I think people need to learn, I wish I had done this earlier. I mean, this is uh, only something I've started doing in the past 18 months, maybe two years of shooting. But I developed a mental program for each shot of, of how I, the procedure of how I was going to make each shot. And it, it helps me to, to slow down and, and um, <clears throat> get everything squared away before I pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. So I recommend people, um, you know, get behind the rifle like you're going to dry fire it. And um, I'll, I'll, my my procedure is this: I've got a special point on the rifle where I index my forefinger, my trigger finger. Yep. Uh, and also for the heel of my my hand, so that my hands are the same place every time. And as I'm getting ready for the shot, I think index. So I put my hand in my index position. Next thing I think is can't. And I'll check the can on the rifle to make sure it's perfect. Yep. And I'll think shoulder, so I pull the rifle into myself and get it squared away. Then I'll think target, and I'll look at the target and, you know, acknowledge what my wind hole's going to be. And then I'll think trigger. And this is the important bit. You can get a lot of pieces correct, but if you screw up that trigger pull, you're probably going to miss half the time. So when I think trigger, my finger moves so slowly to that trigger and it just barely rests on it. 
Mm. And then I breathe in, breathe out, and as I'm breathing out, <clears throat> I start squeezing the trigger as slowly as I can to make that shot. Yeah, brilliant. And that's uh, and, and that's basically something ingrained into you now that you do every time? Yeah, I, you know, it is. I've, I've done that thousands of times. But in the pressure of a match, when you start to miss, your, your brain wants to melt on you a little bit. So as soon as I start performing badly, and that for me that would be I've missed two in a row, I knuckle down and make sure I go through that mental process of pulling that trigger. Yeah, okay. And um, and so would you suggest people to sort of really identify their own process? Yeah, it, it's it's and it's really difficult. I mean, try it. You have to make yourself do it every time, but keep it as simple as possible. Cool. Um, a good trigger pull and perfect camp is super important. Yeah, excellent. And so... Um, Beyond that, I mean, obviously you mentioned there's there's barricade drills and other such things. Um, if you've if you've worked on on that process or you got that underway, what else could the could the guys sort of think about or contemplate? Um, well, I'll, there's a, a drill I do called the 11 second drill, and I'll describe that here. But I just want to touch on um, cant indicators because I've shot uh, a lot of matches um, where I see newer shooters that don't have a level on their scope. And um, guys, that's ridiculous. Correct cant only matters on every single shot, so you need to have a cant indicator on that scope. Yeah, and and check it. Yeah, I mean, I see guys there; they feel like they can wing it. No, you can't, because nothing downrange is level. You can't level with the target. You need to have a level on your scope. Hmm. So, if you don't have one? Go bloody get one. They're cheap. All right, so the most popular drill I do, I do this a lot, two or three times a week, is the 11-second drill. <clears throat> so I don't know what sort of props these guys have available to them to practice on. If you have nothing, um, a ladder, a six-foot ladder is a good place to start. So um, from port of arms, with bag in hand, mag in, ready to go, make sure there's no ammo if you're dry fire, firing, um, I go from port of arms to in position to fire one successful shot in 11 seconds. Right. Yep. And if 11 seconds is too short for you, that's okay. Make it 15 seconds. But I will do that in every position on every barricade over and over and over again until that 11 seconds starts to become too easy. Gotcha. And that and that's and starting port arms every time? Every time yep. without fail. Whether I'm like doing a, a position of right in front of me at shoulder height versus going prone on the ground, I always start at port arms because yep. that's typically where we will start. Yeah, excellent. That one drill alone has sped me up from where stages that were two minutes seemed like it was never enough time to now I'm blowing through that stage in like a minute now. <laughs> yeah, that, that stage right there, but just nothing is more important than making that shot. So if 11 seconds, you can't make a successful shot, then you need to make a 15 and work your way down. I don't know why it's 11. It's just when I go to 10 seconds, I start to miss stuff. So okay. I've stuck with the 11-second drill. Yeah, okay. And and, and you know, whatever, I guess, if people were you know, making it 15 seconds or something that they can do comfortably and then work, work towards bringing it down, is that the plan? Absolutely. Um, start wherever you want. 20-second drill. doesn't matter. Every single position on every barricade you have available to you, from port arms 
to in position with a successful shot. Absolutely. I think... Um you know, don't want guys to get hung up on, oh, well, I haven't got a barricade and I haven't built one yet or I'm not sure what I'm going to encounter. And it's perhaps, uh, as he said, with a ladder or, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking around in the, the room. I mean, I've got a stool and a toolbox. I mean, that's what, three or four different positions I could shoot off that quite easily. Yeah, anything with the flat edge that you can get onto. Bit of three-quarter uh, ply, no worries, screw it on the side or something, but that's your barricade. Desk, knock it over, it doesn't matter. I mean, because old tyres, we're going to shoot off all of that stuff. As difficult as you can make it, the better. Yeah, and and getting some some practice in, and uh, obviously big, you're a big proponent of dry firing, I assume. Uh, I I am, uh, but it has its limits. Uh, first of all, it's boring. <laughs> yep. But um, back in the early days, there wasn't really that many ranges that would let you do anything apart from shoot at a hundred yards off a bench. So I built barricades <clears throat> and I dry fired thousands of rounds. Um, my my weekly routine was at least a hundred a day of dry firing. Doing the for me back then it was like a twenty second drill. The same thing every position, quarter arms to in position, successful shot over and over and over again. But um, dry fire is just a small piece of the puzzle. It doesn't. Um, I mean managing recalls very important. So what I found with all that dry firing is that when I went to a match without having actually done a live fire that week, I, I sucked at managing my recall. Yeah, <laughs> because right. Because you, you don't get that from live firing. See, a good mix is what you need to do. Yeah, excellent. I saw a video of you the other day shooting your off without the butt stock on it, and I found that very intriguing. Was that to do with free recall? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> there's another video of me shooting a barricade. It, the butt stock is just folded up. Because uh, those KRGs I run, you can fold them up out of the way. So gotcha. yeah. I did another video where I shot my six dasher, and a couple of people were like, "Oh man, that, that's easy. That's just a six dasher." And I'm like, "No man, I could do that with my 284." So that was the follow-up video to that. Ah, uh, right. Uh, yep. And I mean, free call, free recalling is just a piece of the puzzle. Once guys work out how to do it, barricades get easy. You don't need all those bags. You just need one bag in between the hard surface and the rifle because I don't ever like to go hard to hard. Um, <clears throat> and the rifles, it's going to have recall and that recall is going to go somewhere. So when I'm free recalling with the, um, the stock folded up, I'm transferring the recall to my hands. Right, yep. So um, that's why I practice it with it folded. Is your hands better hang on to it or it's going to fly over your shoulder. So just take us take us through what free recalling is, because it may not be commonplace over here. I didn't hear about it for the first year of my shooting. That uh, I think a guy in our club, Adam Williams, did it, and he, I'm like, man, what is that? That rifle wasn't on his shoulder. Then he's like, oh, free recalling. So imagine you can go and do it. Throw your rifle, put your bag down on a barricade, throw your rifle down, and get it centered on a target, and stand back. <clears throat> that rifle will sit there on target perfectly. It won't move. There's no tremor. There's, there's nothing. It wants to behave itself. Where the rifle gets the tremor from is you. Yep. So the, the hardest thing for um, a newer precision rifle shooter is to work out what blend of how much of them is on that rifle to make a successful shot, to minimise the movement. And um, free recalling will help you to understand that because if you don't have enough of yourself on the rifle, well, it's going to recall hard and it might buck the shot off the target. So I'd recommend um, 
starting in your normal position and just slowly removing yourself off the rifle, not your hands, but your shoulder. Pull your shoulder away from it till it calms down. The tremor settles down. It just sits there on target. And then move in and start practicing a bit more of you, a bit less of you, till you start making successful shots. Yeah, and how well does that... I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I've got the video of you doing the, the 284 in front of me. How... I mean, moving up to a larger rifles and, and bigger again, um, is that translate as well, or is, is we do reach a limit there somewhere? There's a limit. Um, I don't want to reach it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. That 284, I, I, you know, that loads tune really good. That muzzle brake's really effective. It recalls like a, a decent 308. Yep. So you, you won't see me out there with a 338 Lapua or anything trying to free recall it. Gotcha. So it's really predominantly around that PRS sort of style of shooting with the calibers that are relevant um, yeah, or six, popular. Yeah, 6.5, yeah, then no problem. The 308 depends on the load. You're going to have to start maybe putting a bit more of yourself on there. But as a rule, tell people to start with when I'm, I started free recalling, all I wanted from the buttstock was it touched me just enough to push my shirt against the skin. Yeah, cool. Good way to explain it. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and you'll know if, if that reticle's got a tremor and it's moving, that's all you, buddy. So <laughs> less of you. Yeah, less of you. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. If we're shooting the competition now, you're walking up to your, to the first stage of the day. What, what do you yep. your process? You've told us about your process for your actual shot, but what process do you get? You know, obviously, you get your, your brief of the stage. Where do you go from there? Anyone who doesn't have a set of binoculars in their bag, go get some. Loan them, whatever you need to do. Um, so I carry a 10-power set of um, Suaro L range. They're great binos. Yep. Um, and I'm going to study the course of fire. I'm going to know where every target is. I'm going If I have any questions on a target, I'll ask the RO, um, and I'm going to watch people shoot that stage. I'm going to watch down range to see what the targets are doing. <clears throat> I'm going to watch what equipment they use to shoot that uh, stage. Like if it's something that you use your bipod on, I'm going to, study their bipod height, like a Harris, how many clicks do they have on They've got two clicks. Is their rear bag about as big as mine? Is it smaller? Just so um, there's no surprises when I start shooting, especially to have your bipod height wrong when you start a stage. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you start feeling like you're in trouble right off the bat. Yeah, sure. So I spend a lot of time on the binos rehearsing the stage in my mind um, from – the position I'm in to watching the target get hit, um, what sort of dust is moving around off a miss down there from the other shooters to get a wind call. Um, and plus, looking at the targets with a 10-power set of binos, I look at how um, the size of the target appears to me. Uh, and if I think, well, I can see it with these, then I'm going to set my rifle at 10-power. If they seem a little small, then I'll probably set it at 15-power. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting trick. Yeah, nice. I feel a lot of new shooters, and I did it, I was horrible at it, have way too much power on their scope. Mm -hmm. You could see them looking around all over the place trying to find the targets. If you're at like 25 power on your scope, you are not going to find multiple targets quickly. Not enough to, to have a go at them in, um, in a single stage. So less power is better. I would rather start with too little power and adjust the scope up than to have way too much on there and never find the first target. Yeah. Yeah, fair call. Yeah. Yeah. So as a rule, in doubt, 10 power is where you start. 
Yeah, brilliant. And and so once you've scoped it out a little bit, what what's your next step? All right, <clears throat> get my dope squared away. So normally we'll get a matchbook the day before, and um, I'll go through that matchbook in advance, and um, I'll highlight little things about each stage that I might miss on the day. Just uh, important things like how many total rounds I need for the stage, uh, how many total targets are going to be on that stage. Is the stage uh, a hip to move or one of those stages where you just two rounds per target, then you move to the next one? Um, just as much little piece of information, just so um, it doesn't, you know, I've shot plenty of stages where I've gone in there thinking it was um, a, a hip to move and I've put that third shot down there on the first target and the arrow's like, no move to the next target. So there's a shot gone, you've lost your composure. I just want to get those little things out so that's, I already know in my head when I come to the stage how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll start, after I've got an idea where the course of fire is and all the targets are, I'm going to get my vertical dope squared away. I'm going to put my wind guess down there so I can have a look at that. <clears throat> I use a uh, index card system. I don't know if you guys have um, seen the, the holders, the armband holders that you put those cards in, I've got, I'm yep. using a sidewinder now, which attaches to the scope. That's pretty effective. Yes, yep. So I'll have my vertical dope squared away with my wind guess, and um, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and adjust the dope on my scope for the first target, uh, and I'll adjust the power on my scope to what I think I want to start on and the parallax to, a, to roughly that target distance. Yep, gotcha. Make sure my mags are full, check them again, and go back to watching the course of fire until it's my turn. And when I'm next shooter in line, that's it. I'm on line with everything. I need to shoot the stage, and I'm watching the guy ahead of me shoot it, and I'm going through my mind how I'm going to shoot it, how I'm getting in position. Um, as he transitions to further targets, what, what's my dope? I don't try to remember my dope. I just try to run through what I'm dialing from target to target. So you've decided at that point um, how you're going to attack those various um, various barricades or positions or anything that's all sort of locked away? Yeah, and, I, and I'm trying to learn from other people's mistakes too because um, I've seen guys, they'll go into a barricade and they'll have their bipod legs down and I'll, it's probably the, the way I would have shot it, but then you see them get all bound up because it's not quite as wide as they thought it was. So I'm like, oh, man, I, I need to have my legs up. <laughs> yeah, okay. So learn yep. from their mistakes. Um, and try and pick a guy out in your group that you know is real good and follow what he does. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's a good call. Don't take advice from people who suck. <laughs> yeah, follow the, the guys who are doing well. Exactly. Yeah. And so what you're telling me is that you really don't want to shoot first on the uh, stage if you can avoid it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. No, you don't, but you have to. Um, yep. Most matches, we've stuck with an assigned order and we rotate through the day. So that's a good point. So when I know I'm, I'm first up on the next stage, I do not leave that stage until my dope is squared away, my mags are loaded, and I'm ready to literally walk on the line and shoot if I have to. Yeah, gotcha. Um, when, when I get there, that shouldn't be an issue for me to find out where the targets are, but, man, it has happened. I've got there and I've, my mags aren't loaded. and It's just, and yet again, you've lost your composure before you even start shooting. Yeah, so you're saying like the, the stage before you're prepping for the, the upcoming stage where you know you're going first. 
Exactly. You just have it ready so you, you can walk on there if you have to. Your mags are up, your dope's ready, your scope's dialed. You can shoot it if you have to. Yeah, so if the RO says, right, you've got a minute to go, uh, you're on and you're ready. Yeah, because I've seen it. Guys have come up and the RO's like, man, you've got to go, let's go. And they're like, well, I'm not ready. Yep, you're on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think I think that's perhaps what um uh, what some guys may uh, may not be aware of here, and and of course you know first time round it would be a little bit more generous, but seeing it over there and and certainly what it will end up here is it's pretty much it's run fairly tight from the RO's point of view. Is we do a brief and right, you've you've got thirty seconds or a minute or whatever time is given to uh, to get yourself underway. Yeah, I mean the matches over here can have two hundred people in it, so. Mm. It's like herding cats. They've got to be tough on people. They've got to keep it moving because you'll be there at midnight shooting in the dark. <laughs> that's happened. The longest match I ever start, I shot in started at 5.30 a.m. and we were shooting at 9 o'clock that night. Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's something else. Did, uh, did, you, did you do any night matches over there? I think we brought that out with someone actually we asked. Uh, there, are you there know, any night matches? There's one coming up at Foul... Foul ball precision, which is a, a, a lot of people shoot there. I haven't shot there yet. It's about two and a half hours from here, and I'm like, I'm just trying to work out. People say they're fun. I just <laughs> I like to, I like to drink at night time. I like to do my work during the day and have a beer in the evening. So I'm trying to work out whether I'm going to go and shoot it or not. <laughs> it, it seems like fun. I just for a two day match for us when we have to travel is you go shoot a match, you stay in the hotel. You get up, you do it again, but to stay in the hotel during the day, I don't know how that's going to work for me. Yeah, whether you be uh, in, in a state to actually shoot the match that evening. <clears throat> well, you better be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, otherwise you've travelled a long way for not a lot of benefit. Yeah, it's. I think it's pretty rare, but I might give this one a go and, and see what it's like because it, it seems like a bit of fun and people like it. You know, some of the boys over here in uh, in Darwin, they're they're running night matches uh, a few this year, and uh, you know, basically simulated spotlighting, and uh, does look like great fun. Hmm. But I guess hmm. spot spotlighting is not quite so common over there. No, not as many roos over here, I'm afraid, <laughs> mate. <laughs> no, not far, not too many at all. A lot of people over here hunt with thermals. We don't do the spotlight. No. No, it's uh, yeah, much more advanced, closer to what uh, Greg from our podcast does as well with the thermals. He'd, uh, he'd love to talk about that. Now, in your in your process there, you're talking about writing down your wind guess. What You mentioned uh, about a wind system you run. Can you run us through that? So it's um, not a wind reading system. It's just a, <clears throat> it's a system for me to work out what my wind hole is going to be. So back in the days when I started using kestrels and you can chalk it up to the kestrel didn't do its job or I didn't do my job, whatever. Um, the winds hold it would give me would be nowhere close to what it was at the target when it was really frustrating. So as a baseline, I developed a system <clears throat> which is nothing more than recognizing uh, a pattern from a ballistics program <clears throat> on how my window works. So I'll give you an example for how I do it. <clears throat> It uh, works in five mile an hour uh, wind speeds, um, full value, half value. So five mile an hour, full uh, wind, wind value, <clears throat> like coming from 90 degrees. If the target is at 500 yards, for my six mil, the six dash, it's running around 29.50, <clears throat> I'll express the distance as a decimal. So 500 yards would be 0.5. Yep. Minus 
0.1. So my wind hull, 500 yards, 5 mile an hour full value would be 0.4. And the, the minus 0.1 is because <laughs> of spin? Or? Just, no, that's just how it works out. So okay. when, I, when I do a, a dope chart on my, um, my geo ballistics, I put in uh, 5 mile an hour full value wind from 90 degrees. Target is at 0 degrees. Then look at the chart. Um, that math, the 500 yards, point, make it 0.5 minus 0.1, so the wind hole is 0.4. That's what the dope chart says. That's what it works out so, to, yep. 600 yards, 0.6 minus 0.1. That's it. Wind hole is 0.5. 700 yards, 0.7 minus 0.1 is 0.6, and that's what it says. Wind hole is 0.6. And that's, so for, was, that's for an allotment of five mile an hour, did you say? A full value? Five mile an hour, full value, correct. So 10 mile an hour wind, double it. 15, triple it. 20 mile an hour, quadruple it. Yep. And that's that's the system I used in the heat stroke last year when the wind was 18 to 25 mile an hour. <clears throat> and I got second. That's not first, but it was still pretty good. <laughs> still pretty good. Out of how many competitors? Um, 165, I think. Yeah, no, second will do. I reckon I'd be pretty happy with that. Now, I really wanted first, but that Jerry Karloff was too good. <clears throat> <laughs> But it, that was a great match. I mean, it was really difficult um, to convince my brain that I had to hold 0. 0.6 at 234 yards to hit a target. But I trusted it, and I hit most of the targets. And it worked. Yeah, right. So basically, you just spot the pattern in your uh, your dope chart and see where it is. For me, I, I try and do all my calls based on the distance to the target. So if I'm shooting a 400-yard stage and um, I have to hold 0.3, say 0.3 right to hit the target, and now we're shooting the stage next to it that runs parallel to it and it's 500 yards, well, I'm going to increase the wind hold by 0.1. Yep. So 400, I had 0.3. 500, I'm going to have 0.4, 600, and so forth. As long as the target directions are within 20 degrees of each other, it's going to work for you. It's going to work. Yeah, brilliant. It's nice to yep. keep keep it simple and quick so you can yeah, draw on it really easily. I don't know if you've seen any of the formulas that are being thrown out there about how to calculate your wind hole. Man, complicated stuff, mind-numbing stuff. Yeah, there's there's heaps, isn't there? Yeah, so I say I start with a wind guess because that's all it really is. It's a, my best guess, and most of the time it's pretty good. But um, if we're on a, a course of fire that has five targets that are relatively in the same line, you know, 400 yards, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <clears throat> um, my wind call for the whole, all the other targets are going to come from that first target. Yeah. If I hit the 400 yard target with 0.5 uh, right, then I am going to add 0.1 for every 100 yards I go out. So 0.5 on the first one, 0 0.6, 0 0.7, and I'll keep going out. Yeah, and then adjust if need be. Yeah, so if you can hit that first one, make a note of that wind call and just add point one for every 100 yards as you go out. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I guess we covered your, your process that you go through for actually uh, everything from stage brief to actually taking the shot. Um, the how, How's 2017 going for you? Uh, not bad. I uh, haven't shot – I've shot three matches. I um, – Bushnell Brawl was my first. I had a 13th there. I had a, I don't know how many shooters there were, like 120 or something. Yep. The next one was LRSE uh, up in Kentucky. I got a second there. That was pretty good. Well done. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
they're good. My um, teammate Matt Brusso got first place. So yeah, right, and probably hasn't stopped talking about it. Oh, he's not too bad. He'll rub it in a little bit, but um, <laughs> he's pretty humble at the end of the day. But he was man. He only had me by a couple of shots on day one, and that little bugger man, he gave up one shot on day two. Oh, really? Yeah, it's hard to catch yeah, that. He had, he had yeah, two shots, sorry, on day one, and he only gave up one on day two. So I guess he really wanted it bad. So. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Excellent. And what's the third one? The uh, third one was Alabama uh, last month, and I got a 17th. And, um, yeah, I really want to be in the top 10. That's my goal every time, well, top five, really. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't take too many mental errors to slip down that list. And a difference between 17th and maybe a top 10 is literally six or seven shots. So Yeah, right. Yeah, once you feel it kind of slip away from you a little bit, it, it's it's difficult to manage yourself and stay positive. But I did a pretty good job. It was I just had some stuff go wrong. Um, yeah, I just couldn't keep it going. I just kind of plodded along. You really need to be... To win one of these matches, you have to be get between eighty to ninety percent of the available points. Yep. Yeah. yeah, to be up in the top end. Yeah, and if you're a new shooter, um, to do good in a match, fifty percent. Nobody has ever cleaned any course of fire. No one's ever got a hundred percent. So if a new shooter comes in and he tries to hit half the targets, he's going to do really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so on these st- stages where the time limit's a bit tough for a newbie, man, don't race to get that 10th shot off. Get six good ones off and hit those targets. Yeah, yeah, take it take it slow, get the hits on, get some points on the board and uh, and then, then go on from there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, the speed will come with practice. You're not going to get it right now on that stage. <laughs> Just concentrate on the shot in front of you and then when you make that, go to the next one. Yeah, and I think uh, we had a guy who uh, shot the the bigger comp here in SA um, uh, early in the year, and he went on the basis of of, of don't uh, score points on every stage and uh, and just take it slow and, and make sure you get some points rather than uh, risking it and missing really quickly. Yeah, that's excellent advice. I mean, no zeros on the scoreboard. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I worked for him. He came fourth uh, in a field that was quite competitive, so he uh, he was very happy with his results. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's that's good shooting. Um, just plot along, get the points on the board. Mm. And you joined a new team this year with Team Surgeon? I've always loved Surgeon Rifles. Um, uh, and our, we've got such a good team, it's it's hard to be a standout. I mean, we've got Dave Preston, uh, Jerry Karloff, John Pinch, uh, Matthew Brusso, Bannon Eldridge, and uh, Regina and Tim Milkovich. I mean, it's just such an assembly of good shooters and good people. Yeah, so the team's going very well for the year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's early days yet, but Dave Crescent sits down in first place, as expected. He's pretty <laughs> tough to beat. <laughs> He's pretty... Carlos fifth, and John Pinch was in ninth. Yeah, right. So uh, we're, the team surgeon is, is doing quite well. Yeah, not bad. We've got uh, five shooters in the top 15, I think, but it's early days yet, so <clears throat> let's talk about where I'm at. Let's <laughs> not be too critical. No, so I'm, not I'm at all. in 15th place with 256 points. Yeah, okay. Now, realistically, by the end of the season, 256 points is going to be lucky to keep you in the top 50. Because it, it, it works on your, your best three matches, is that right? 
Yeah, that's three. That and your percentage is calculated off of how many points you got versus the guy who actually won the match. Yeah. So um, it's not a bad system unless you get a guy that blows the field away by twenty points. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Second place walks out of there with eighty percent. That's kind of tough. How many more matches are you planning on shooting this year? Uh, another four or five at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one for me is K&M at the end of the month, two two weeks away. So that's a fun one. K&M is a brilliant facility. Whereabouts is that? It's uh, in Finger, Tennessee. Excellent. Yeah, and um, and that's, uh, again, another big match, another sort of 120-plus people? Uh, I think for just the bolt gun match, because he's having the gas gun match the two days before that. All oh, right. Uh, the bolt gun is 212 shooters. Wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> the two matches combined, there's going to be 300 people shooting. That's huge. Do you get to a point where you get towards the end of the season, you go, oh, better get another match or two in here trying to bump the score up? You really do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I'll just I'll do as best as I can. But, um, yeah, if you want to be in the top 10 in the PRS, you need to be at 290%. Wow. At least that, yeah. Last year, I, I nudged my way up to fourth with about 294%. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a different scoring system. Um, this year, now I'm going to – I've got – I need a couple more top fives. Yep, yep, to really be right up there. Yeah, so the goal of the next match is, you know, stay calm, no mental errors. I mm. mean, I've done this over and over again. I just – have your stuff squared away. Um, I had some mag feed issues on my rifle at the last match, which had developed in practice and I ignored. I had every opportunity to fix them before the match, but, you know, we get a bit lazy, so <laughs> none of that at the next one. Just go hit the targets, hit that target, and then hit the next one. It's not that hard, really. Sounds real simple, doesn't it? Just just hit the targets. <laughs> I don't know what's so hard about this thing. <laughs> hit those bloody targets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. And uh, just to, uh, to finish off a little bit, I uh, heard uh, that you might be putting pen to paper soon and uh, signing a big book deal. Um, <laughs> you know, a mate of mine, I've written a couple of articles for the, the local club on load development and just how I um, measure my scope height. And, and a buddy of mine in Canada, uh, Travis Duran, yep. he... Um, He's the web guy for the PRS and a shooter, good shooter. Mm. He's like, man, pretty good this. Why don't you write a book? I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, another PRS shooter, Marcus uh, Blanchard, came out with a book and yep. uh, got it. It's a well-written book, lots of good info in there. And the info I have is a little bit different. So I thought, well, I'll throw one together and we'll see what it looks like. So Fantastic, mate. We've certainly got to get some copies over to Australia when you do get it done. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll see if it's... But basically, it's from day one to now, everything I know about shooting in the PRS. Everything, reloading, you name it. How I do wins, what I think about stuff, it's all going to be in there. Yeah, brilliant. It's going to be going to be big volume. Yeah, well, if I list all my mistakes in there, it could be like <laughs> chapters long. <laughs> oh, excellent, mate. So is there anything else you uh, you wish to pass on to the guys who are about to uh, enter their first comp over here or whenever they're listening to this, hopefully uh, shooting at some point in the PRS in Australia? Yeah, I mean, don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, the, the bottom line is you're going to feel pressure, 
but that's necessary to make this a fun game. Just manage it. Um, enjoy yourself, ask questions, and just be safe with your rifle. Yeah, fantastic, Paul. Thank you very much for your time to uh, come on and uh, have a chat with us all. Um, certainly got plenty of things to think about. No doubt those who are listening have t- taken plenty away from it as well. So really appreciate you uh, putting some time aside this morning, uh, or this morning for you. Um, and I'm going to let you uh, get to work and I'm going to go to bed and uh, we'll get this uh, podcast up and uh, and out there. On you, mate. I, I hope it helped. And if anybody over there in Australia, well, anybody really that listens to your podcast, wants to ask me a question directly they, they you know they don't want to be embarrassed asking on facebook go ahead my email is paul at rotomate r-o-t-o-r-m-a-t-e dot com or you can find me on facebook paul p reed i'm in the surgeon shirt happy to help anyone who needs it that's awesome mate and that's what i really love about this sport that we've seen uh, modeled in the u.s and 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 starting to see as well in australia is that guys are just willing to give information and willing to help guys out it's a, it's a wonderful thing absolutely easy done well, well guys thanks for listening paul thank you for your time for uh, having a chat with us and uh, good luck to all those shooters who are shooting the prs and uh, and for those of you who are thinking about it maybe uh, take some tips from paul there and uh, get involved next time around cheers mate thanks for that good on you mate good talking to you see you later Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.